nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, and I am very happy to have you back with us again. Thank you so much for joining. Our show is sponsored by Kim Evans Institute for Integrative Medicine in Louisville, Kentucky, where they make you an active partner in your care in healing your mind, body, spirit, and soul. For information, please contact them at www.integrativemedicineforyou.com. It's all written out except the four is a number four and you is just the letter U. So www.integrativemedicineforyou.com. Um, and our show is also sponsored by Holly Blue Nurse Community App, which is for and about nurses. And um, they ha- have their website or, or the app site would be www.hollyblue.com. Holly Blue is spelled H O L L I B L U. It's for a community where nurses thrive. I love it. I think you will too. So today, our show, the title is 2020 Nurses Have Earned Self Empowerment. So I started this show three and a half years ago, and almost immediately I started hearing about huge, incomprehensible numbers of nurses leaving nursing. New grads were staying a year or less, seasoned nurses after four to seven years. There were increased statistics of doctors committing suicide because, of course, they were doing research on them. Uh, But clearly this was also happening with nurses. I could not understand this. However, when COVID arrived in March of 2020, it became crystal clear to me that in some organizations, nurses were not being treated as precious central figures in the healthy and effective care of our patients. They were being treated as as a on their budget, and that was simply too large. When I read my guest, Glenna, Glenna, Glenna Davis's recent book called Bias and Burnout, 10 Power Moves for Healthcare Workplace Equity, everything fell into place and resonated so strongly with me, I couldn't sleep. I want to welcome Glenna to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, to share what she discovered in a courageous search for personal empowerment and work ethic equity. She is a CEO uh, of Prescription for Life, and she is a health equity consultant and education agency uh, consultant. Um, and I just really, really am so glad you're here, Glenna. Thank you. Thank you, Leanne. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Could you just uh, give us a little background or kind of a a quick overview of your background? And then uh, how did you get to this point of being a a health equity nurse? Oh, certainly. I have a 30-year history in the healthcare, about 16 years as a registered nurse. My background includes 
critical care, adult and pediatric, as well as pain management, adult and pediatric, solid organ transplantation as well. And also I have worked in the Heart Institute. So as a black woman growing up in South Central Los Angeles, born to a mom with paranoid schizophrenic and schizoaffective disorder, I certainly had a lot of upstream factors to um, get over to get myself into a position where I was sitting at boardroom tables with world-renowned physicians and professors Mm -hmm. of medicine allocating Mm -hmm. um, organs to people who needed lungs and hearts. And so my career ladder was certainly um, impressive for myself, but in the midst of getting to that area, I experienced some racial and disability discrimination in the major U.S. hospital that I had worked for. Mm-hmm. And wow. as I was going through um, trying to get what I call equal rights within the workplace and get to my, my, get my workplace rights to be accommodated as a qualified individual with a disability, I ran into so many restraints that led me to believe that I needed to be medicated like on mm-hmm. opioids and are antidepressants because in their opinion, I should have been satisfied with where I was in my life because I had come so far. Mm-hmm. It was there that I realized that so many of America's public health crises, opioid addictions, poverty, suicide, domestic violence, and homicide and especially in workplace violences, is because of constraints where we intersect with workplace discrimination and health. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason why I decided to create Rx for Life, Prescription for Life, so that I can help others to reach health equity. I felt like all I needed was a nurse yeah. <laughs> to help me get through. Like, yeah. where's this care plan at? Like, I really needed a care plan so that others yes. can see this is what needs to be in place, but the allyship for people who are in need of workplace rights and accommodation are not there, and so I wanted to provide that for other people. I can so much understand exactly what you're saying. I remember um, one time during the process of my um, health disability going on, I can remember coming out of the doctor's office, and my mind was so foggy. And I realized that I was trying to plan a funeral for myself. And Mm -hmm. I suddenly realized, oh, my gosh, I need help. I mean, a nurse with case management was kind of what I was thinking. But there wasn't such a thing for, you know, Mm -hmm. what I was dealing with, severe pain and, you know, uh, imbalances in all areas of my health life, my body. And it was just this feeling of where do I turn? So right now, and and at that time, healthcare was under a lot of pressure, but oh my gosh, since March of 2020, um, healthcare system is under so much pressure. And I'm wondering, you know, in your opinion, um, who is affected by this weakened healthcare? You know, the workers are so undermined right now in every way, shape, and form. Talk about that a little bit. Wow, who's affected by the increased pressure on our healthcare system? Everyone. 
everyone who enters the hospital in a state of need is vulnerable for increased mortality and increased morbidity, including the healthcare worker himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're certainly seeing that now as um, the health uh, services are overburdened to the point where we're in a battlefield situation where there's going to come a time when people will come to the ER and they will be turned away. And that just terrifies me. Yeah, so, this is true. Yeah. So um, I, I'm thinking, um, you know, it's job stress, stress. You talk about bias and burnout. When you say bias, what do you mean by that? I just mean that we look at our situation sometimes with a it's very personal to us, but then we make decisions based off of our feelings instead of recognizing that we as employees are pretty much obligated to conduct business in the workplace, which unfortunately doesn't have anything to do with our feelings about the situation, but what is the best strategic move for health? Mm-hmm. For your health and the patients, and how often? It's for your put- health and the patients. And how the communities that we, you serve. Exactly. And how often do we put uh, the patient's health ahead of our own? Yes, exactly. As as nurses. Pretty much we every time that, that we're pretty pretty much every time that we make a decision, we're putting someone else's health before our own. Yeah. But if we decide that that decision is costing me moral distress or punity with all my own self, then maybe I'm not making the right decision even for my mm-hmm. patient. Yeah. Could you talk about, too, what burnout means? Uh, I mean, so many in the healthcare, uh, they know exactly. But just so that everybody who might not be in healthcare that's listening uh, would understand what your definition is of burnout. So I define burnout as being at the tail end at the end stage of a five-step process of chronic stress, where you just kind of like bypass all of your physical and mental alarm systems going out, and you continue to make the same decisions because maybe fear-based, you're not a, you don't have an indication of the consequences that may come if you make this decision you're feeling isolated, and your burnout can just be like, okay, I'm over shopping or over sexing or drinking too much, and I'm just Mm -hmm. not taking care of myself, and diseases begin to occur. Maybe my hair is falling out. I'm having skin issues. I'm having bowel irregularities, and then you All of these things are coming upon you physically because you haven't made that one decision that you need to make in the workplace that scares the light out of you because you feel like you're going to be retaliated against or you're going to get ostracized or for some reason you need human resources to give you a letter of recommendation and not blacklist Mm -hmm. you. So you're putting too much expectations on an exterior force instead of trusting and believing in yourself. And so this is where burnout occurs. Yeah. This is one of the things I I went through burnout several different times. 
Um, but one of the things that I realized is when I was waiting for somebody else to save me, um, it, it takes a long time for me to come to the top of their priority list. And mm-hmm. one of the things, and, and I think you probably have experienced this too, is that not all disability or, um, you know, I- injuries are visible. So, you know, some right. of them could be mental health and many, many nurses are experiencing that and they discount it as being, well, it's all in my head and, you know, nobody wants to know about this and I'm ashamed to tell anybody I'm having these problems. But also like in my case, it was all internal. It was all internal stuff that went back to birth defects where some of my body hadn't actually um, grown the way it was supposed to. And so it wasn't visible Mm -hmm. to anybody but me who was experiencing Mm -hmm. pain since I was a baby, basically. And so it was sort of normal to me on some levels. And as it got worse and worse, I really had a hard time uh, thinking, you know, is this what everybody else is experiencing? Right. Is that something you can relate to? Hidden disability. Yes, mm-hmm. so mine also was a hidden disability, although it it manifested itself as a workplace injury where it was just like this repetitive stress injury, but this repetitive mm-hmm. stress injury shortened my tendons and limited my range of motion on my dominant arm. And so I was using muscles all the way up my neck where my latissimus dorsi is just falling asleep. I wasn't able to lift or pull myself up out of the bathtub. And... No one else seemed to be able to care about that. And the more I admitted my thoughts and my need for help, the more I was ostracized, the more I was ridiculed. And I was just like, well, my goodness, I need help. Yeah. Talk, say but nobody saw rid- it because I'm... Yeah. Say what that ridicule sounded like, because I think, you know, people need that reassurance that when we're hearing these words, this is not appropriate. Wow. Can can you think of some of the things they said? (laughs) I mean, I kept getting, you look perfectly fine to me. How come I'm having to work extra for you? Well, for me, you know, as a, as a black woman, I remember going to my occupational doctor and, you know, his bias against me was, I I don't see why you need to use your thumb Uh, at work. At work? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, right. Like my opposable thumb, the like it, it separates me from animals. <laughs> like, are you <laughs> kidding me? You yeah. know? And so that when I when I heard that and I I started to ask like write that down in my chart, you know? Mm-hmm. Because this when he said that I knew that I was going to be up against a great battle. Mm-hmm. of institutional racism, maybe even gender, against my gender, against my color of my skin, whatever the case would have been. And another workers' comp doctor, he was like, well, your your employer, when they hurt you, you were of a picture of health. And now... Mm-hmm. You know, what do you what do you want them to do as if I was just disposable and I should just accept right. the crumbs that were being given to me. Right. But they didn't match my rights. And I I was like, how in the world do I pursue what is mine mm-hmm. at work? 
or do mm-hmm. I leave it out on the table or do I walk away? And walking away from my rights wasn't the answer for mm-hmm. me, and it shouldn't be the answer for anyone else um, mm-hmm. because these are your rights. And if you leave them, then you're really nothing more than a slave, and none of us are slaves. Yeah, we all have equal yeah. rights under the law. Well, and just human rights, just as a human and being, human rights, and that's but yes, that's what I mentioned in the book. Like, if I wasn't going to get my employment rights, then I for sure was going to get my human rights. Yeah, the thing that's so crazy about it is, um, even and you know, things have come a long way. I had hoped from when I first started dealing with workers' comp when it was you know a fairly probably early in that process to where you're at. But what I kept hearing from, uh, you know, the whole theory of it was that, you know, this is a person who has been oriented to your hospital, knows your policies and procedures, um, is very, very valuable. You've already trained, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for this person. And you want to be able to find what is a better fit. And with a large organization, oh my gosh, you know, there's 20,000 different, you know, little uh, spots and places that people can fit into. So if they're really willing to work with you, there should be a spot that meets your capabilities and your disability. Exactly. And that's how I knew I was dealing with institutional racism is because as I was on the conveyor belt to being released, mm-hmm. going through the process, I kept seeing new and younger nurses coming in. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wait, I still have value. I, mm-hmm. I have many more years experience than all of these nurses. Like, you should want me to be able to help groom them into being great nurses to prevent the injury that I've occurred. And, you know, even before um, I was fired for disability, yes, I have the receipts to prove it. My unemployment paperwork says I was fired for disability and Mm. I lost my pension because of corporate time delay gains. So, I didn't mm-hmm. get enough time to be able to file the paperwork. And still, I feel that even before the last day of my employment with my former company, that there were 30 positions Glenna qualified for, that I qualified right. for, and was mm-hmm. still told, we have no place for you here. Mm-hmm. They can make those decisions, but for me to be able to grow and remain turn that anger into passion and to Mm -hmm. prevent what I like, preventable diseases, because Mm -hmm. at the end of it, like, I could have been diagnosed with lupus because I had the positive ANA and I looked like I was sick. Mm -hmm. I had a 30-pound weight gain. My hair was off my scalp because Mm. my body, my autoimmunity, like, my body is turning against me because I'm turning against my purpose. Right. I'm more right. worried about something else other than worried about how, what is, what is the world trying to tell me? For me as God, what is he trying to tell me? What do I need to do? Yeah, and so, I, 
I want to come back yeah, to that and it's- in a minute because that was so important in your own personal breakthrough. Um, but I did want you to to address too this. You had shared with me a specific situation where you had seen an opening in was it the lung um, transplant unit, and mm-hmm. you had mm-hmm. talked to one of the transplant surgeons you knew well and tell that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, one of our doctors, we worked really well together, and he thought very highly of me. And when I have applied for a position within his transplant department, he, you know, went out and he, he spoke to the hiring manager, gave a good recommendation. I went and I interviewed, and all of a sudden, the position and the opportunity was taken from me, even though she said that I already came with high recommendations. What happened that I later found out is that she had been in contact with HR, which is what mm-hmm. she's supposed to do. But mm-hmm. HR was not supposed to tell her about my disability. So they were interfering. They wasn't helping me try to get a job as well mm-hmm. as interfering with me getting a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my efforts, to equity was still intercepted by administration. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. it wasn't about the doctors against me because then afterwards he wouldn't even look me in the eye anymore because he was mm-hmm. completely embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I ended up getting the job because I had to, you know, go up the chain of command and talk to the president of this large facility um, mm-hmm. to get a position because or else I would have just been um, ostracized and just Pushed put aside. out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this kind of bias can be all kinds of different things. You know, like you mentioned, it could be race, it could be gender, it could be mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the fact that you have a disability and they don't mm-hmm. want to think, oh, okay, she's not going to be coming mm-hmm. into work as often as yeah. she should be. And right, are, right, right. are we going to be able to rely on her? And actually, I worked in human resources for a while hiring people. And one of the things that I learned and then taught managers was that, um, first of all, you can't ask anything in the first interviews about uh, any kind of disability or anything. Um, And in the final interview, what you can say is, this is what the job requires. Can you do those things? And so it's Mm -hmm. up to the, the, um, the nurse to be able to say, yes, I am able to do that. How you do that Mm -hmm. is up to you. Mm -hmm. But if you're Mm -hmm. saying, yes, I can fulfill these um, qualifications of this job, um, mm-hmm. that's what they have to go on. And then after right. the job then, is hired, you mm-hmm. can ask for uh, accommodation. Exactly. And do you, do you want to talk about accommodation a little bit? Accommodations are so important. Um, and accommodation for you to be able to do the job thoroughly and effectively as a person with a disability does require you to be open and vulnerable about what your needs are and how you can still contribute to the team. You know, mm-hmm. one of my friends told me that a person, a basketball player can sit on the bench all season. He's still going to get a ring at the end of the season. You're <laughs> part of a team. And so, mm-hmm. so you're part of a team and you have to bring your talent in, but, What's hard is being able to be vulnerable and to ask for your needs to be met, whether it's at work or even in a personal relationship. 
I think mm-hmm. we fall short of this all the time, and mm-hmm. people are going to give you less than what you deserve because mm-hmm. you're not asking for it. Right. Um, you can make your life a lot easier, your home life a lot easier, as well as your work life a lot easier if you know what your limitations are and if they need for you to go beyond that, you have to ask for them to meet you there because then you can start getting written up by things because you're you're not fooling anybody mm-hmm. um, yeah. by coming up short. You're not fooling anybody, but you can definitely be bold and professional enough to ask your employer to meet you where you are. Especially and that you have so is the key offer. right there is that we do not teach nurses or women in general to stand up for ourselves. And so, um, again, we're waiting for somebody to deliver, you know, the, um, you know, here's your support, here's your help, because that's what we would do to other people. But that is not work. And what I found, especially in working in with um, male leadership, if a lot of female too, but um, certainly with male leadership is that they respect us more when we stand up for uh, what we believe uh, is right for us. Yeah. And the other thing is, I have realized that in human resources, they go so much according to that um, job. um, uh, I uh, uh, I just lost the name for job Uh description that they Mm -hmm. can't you know, veer off and say, okay, this person, you know, couldn't do this, but they could do this to make that possible. Or even there could be some exchanges between people that are working together. Maybe you can do something the other person can't do, and they can do something you can do. And they just don't seem to see that. Yeah. Like for me, I offered my colleague, you know, hey, um, I'll enter this information into the database because he didn't like doing the database information Mm -hmm. that we're required to do. Um, And you can do this part for me Mm -hmm. on this day, you know, so that I can take off and rehab or take off and do something, you know, get myself together. And that should have been okay between my colleague and I because we are educated professionals and we're charged with the duty to get our work done and so much overseeing to how we get it done should not be so micromanaged. Right, exactly. Um, We're actually at a good place for us to stop for a break and I think let's go ahead and do that. And then we will be back in just a few minutes. So this is, um, the title of this show is 2020 Nurses Have Earned Self-Empowerment. So my guest today is Glenna Davis. She's a CEO of Prescription for Life. And she um, is a health equity consultant and does uh, educational agency. Um, She's a wonderful guest. I'm so happy to have her here. And I do want to mention again, her latest book is called Bias and Burnout. 10 Power Moves for Healthcare Workplace Equity. So if this is ringing bells for you, this is a good book to pick up. And we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. WomenInHealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, 
community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020. WomenInHealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Hey nurses, what would you say is the hardest part about being a nurse? Well, most of you would say it's putting everyone else's needs before our own, which means not enough time for self-care. And this is why Holly Blue has created a peer support and community app just for nurses, so you can take care of you. Holly Blue is the ultimate nurse app to help you connect with local nurses, organize your nurse life in one place, restore your love for nursing, and empower you to thrive in a field that needs you. Want to see how it works? Student nurses, nurses, and retired nurses can download this free app on the App Store or Google Play now. Just type in H-O-L-L-I-B-L-U or go to hollyblue.com to start connecting. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And this is a very special show today. We are, uh, the title of this is 2020 Nurses Have Earned Self-Empowerment. And my guest today is Glenna Davis. She is the CEO of Prescription for Life. Uh, she is um, a health equity nurse, which she actually created that position. And she also does uh, education agencies, so helping um, different organizations or even her own with um, education um, on these topics. So uh, we were just talking about um, all aspects of, of nurses especially nurses uh, needing empowerment. And one of the things that we're talking about is bias, especially like to people that have disabilities, nurses particularly. And then it can be racism. It can be all kinds of different kinds of biases that seem like they create a roadblock um, for us. And so this is about, and especially this segment of this, I want us to talk about how do we overcome that? If we are feeling that from other people, are we just a victim or is there something we can do to overcome it? So, uh, but first, one of the things that really impressed me, uh, Glenna, about your book was that aspect of spirituality, that that became the foundation that you used to be able to not have to wait for somebody else to give you permission or uh, affirm you. So talk about that. A lot of people don't know how to get there. Right. Um, it is very difficult, but you, you know, you have to be under this amount of stress and I, I don't just mean emotional stress, but sometimes it's just like this stress to make a decision in the workplace that 
makes you make fear-based decisions. And my level of spirituality is, um, as a Christian, is first and foremost to pay attention to what your inner being is saying to you. You know, I write a lot about my relationship with God, but I never um, make it to the point where if you're not believing in this God, then you have a problem. My number one goal is to get people to pay attention to their first mind and to understand what it feels like to be affirmed that you're making the right decision. We hear all the time these cliches and these um, sayings that if, you know, the, the, the hard road is the right road and, you know, um, anxiety sometimes can be an indication that you are doing the right thing. It just doesn't feel good on the physical body. It doesn't feel good on the mind and it comes with an overwhelming amount of risk of loss. Mm-hmm. But those are the things that we're supposed to do because how can you get more if you don't let go? Mm-hmm. And, and I really, this, this, really, though, I really feel like one of the things you really emphasize in the book is what you just said here too, is that it's not about one person imposing this is the way you get to the spiritual core, uh, but that each person finds that that what what is meaningful to them, and then based mm-hmm. on that is how we can grow from there. But it's like everybody has to have some kind of a foundation to be able to right. like have a springboard off of to be able to make those tough decisions and right. and uh, reaffirm yourself. So would would right. that be about but, what you what you were saying in right. your book? Great. Yes, because, you know, our, our whole idea is to have equity. We want equity. And I don't believe that equity is something that can be given to you because on an individual basis, we all want something different. <laughs> right. We yeah. all want something different. We have the resources available for the individual to use, but it's up to that individual to decide, I'm going to use this portion of this It's interesting that you you say that because one of the things that I did after being injured was I taught new employee orientation and I put in a whole hour out of eight hours of orientation on respect. So respecting Mm -hmm. other people, respecting yourself, standing up for yourself, Mm -hmm. all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I was sharing that um, one of the core behaviors for our company was uh, the idea of treating others the way you want to be treated. And Mm -hmm. I will never forget, there was a young African-American woman who was sitting, I see exactly where she was and how she looked, everything. And she said to me, how do you know I want to be treated the way you want to be treated? Mm-hmm. I'm rarely stuck for a, you know an answer, but I just was like, uh, uh, <laughs> and it stuck in my mind, and I just kept thinking about it and working on it and thinking about it, and and she said, um, I think what she came back with, she said, um, how about if we treat people the way they want to be treated? And so I went back to the upper management. I mean, we had all this, you know, um, stuff up on the walls and plaques and everything. It was written everywhere about this, you know, treat others as, as you want to be treated. And they changed it to their credit, that one word, 
treat others as they want to be treated. And the only way you know that is to ask them, how do you right. want? That requires a conversation. <laughs> Isn't it? And it was yeah, so a one word difference made such a right. huge amount of difference. Right. I, I'm so grateful to her. Right. Yeah, I'm glad that you had that experience because that does make a lot of sense and which leads me into like some of the power moves that I ended up looking back at and deciding that's exactly what I had to do was to teach other people how to treat me. And that required a conversation. And part of it was learning how to confront in a way where confrontation didn't feel so like a bad word. Understanding that it is um, oppositional, and then it doesn't feel comfortable, but it's a needed pathway so that we can get into a place where we can um, really heal and learn from one another mm-hmm. and move forward and grow. And it may not, it's not going to work for so many, but everything, if you are reintroduced to that same behavior, at least you'll know what to do. Yeah. You can better that identify it. The thing that finally worked for me on that was actually something my ex-husband told me. And he said, um, you know, it isn't that we are opposite each other and we're like a tennis match where we're beating the ball back and forth against each other. You know, you did this and you did that. (laughs) Um, But that we're on the same side and we're sitting next to each other looking out at that problem out there beyond us. So nobody's to blame. Mm -hmm. It's just, here's the problem. We're both looking at it from a different point of view. How can we be on the same team and come up with solutions to that problem, which feels a lot less confrontational and a lot more, um, you know, the way nurses like to work in in collaboration. So I I love the way you, you brought up the 10 power moves. Let's go to those and talk about them here. So, um, You say in your book, uh, working as a health equity nurse, I've identified 10 power moves you can make for your own advancement. I invite you to study these concepts and master the ability to make these moves in your own life. And Mm -hmm. I love them all. So the first one is the, the power risk. What is that about? Yeah, so the power risk. I feel like if you are willing to risk, for me, it was like my paycheck was on the line. I, I had a, a six-figure income, and I was sitting at boardroom tables with world-renowned professors of medicine and pulmonologists and all of these people making these great decisions, and I have, I come from making $13 and a penny, and now mm-hmm. I'm making six figures plus a stipend, and, you know, this my social circle, and I had taken my children from the inner city to the suburbs, and, and a homeowner, young woman driving a luxury vehicle, taking weekend mm-hmm. trips with girlfriends. I had a lot on the line, and I had grown to this woman in my own strength. And now mm-hmm. it came time for me to, wow, is there anywhere else for me to go, or is this mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Is yeah, this it? I have accomplished a lot. First graduate in my family. I, I was raised on public assistance. Like, mm-hmm. oh, wait a minute. <laughs> and, you know, the counselors and the psychiatrists, of course, we didn't talk about it, but this was so mind-boggling. I was like, I need safety in a psychiatrist. Like, I, I, am I losing my mind? What is mm-hmm. happening? 
Yeah. And, and, and so I had to, I had to decide if I was going to hold on to everything that I, I accomplished. Or was I going to let it go and allow the God that I serve to give me more? And when I thought that I was going to lose my nursing license, my ability to practice, my ability to create, what, and I, didn't, I didn't even know I could create. I wrote my first book at 40, and yeah. that was after all of this took place. Like, my highest graduate, like, I never graduated anything other than college, but, like, my mom, like I said, was a paranoid schizophrenic, so... Um, my adolescent years were like living in Los Angeles was one big summertime. I didn't go to school. Like I mm. culminated from the sixth grade. And when I was dropped out of high school, my credit probably came up to the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. So th- there wasn't a lot to me looking at me, but there mm-hmm. was so much in me that was already right. predestined for me. And right. Working at this amazing facility was not all that I had to offer. Like, right now, if I can teach people how to risk and let go, then my cohorts from the hood to the boardroom can all benefit and get this connection of understanding how we are more alike than different. I love that. And we can, I love turn, it. We can, turn, we can turn our organizations around and... Yes put human health first, and then everybody gets the abundance. Because like I said earlier, the equity I want is not the same equity Leanne wants. Exactly. Yeah. So the second one is the power of thought. Yes. Our thoughts is what creates and what makes us. And if you think something is odd and off, then you have to address it. And I don't recommend... Unless you know the patterns of what comes upon you, then you can quickly, you know, address those things. But for me, I like to take a moment to see how things settle within my spirit. Mm-hmm. If things settle and are all good, then I'll, I'll, I can leave it alone. But if something continues to come up, I don't want to continue to carry that baggage. And I'll go back. I don't care if it's a week, three weeks, or three months. I'm like, you remember when this took place because I feel like I missed something or I didn't deliver something or didn't get something, mm-hmm. and now I'm carrying it. And so when we have our Honey, thoughts. Can you yes. use an, get it, give an example of that so that it's more clear than just the theoretical part? Name something that kept coming into your mind and sabotaging you. Okay, um, let's see. I wish I had the book. Um, <laughs> what does it say? <laughs> huh? oh, what uh, does it, it says, say? your innate talent for reflection, judgment, contemplation, and reason. Okay. Um, I was thinking see. when okay. you were saying it. Go ahead. Let me think. Okay, so, okay, so. When I was going through what I was going through in the workplace, I I thought it was because of the race, because of the color of my skin. 
And when I approached my attorney about it, she was like, well, what is anyone going to do? Which makes 2020 such a unique, well, 2021 now, but 2020 such a polarizing and unique year to actually talk about how discrimination in the workplace affects the health of our workforce. Um, For my colleagues, maybe my white colleagues, they... Some of them wanted to do something but didn't know what to do. So they, their thoughts about what was happening were accurate, but they didn't have an action plan in place to be able to assist and do things because they may have feared their own risk of loss. Yeah, I, I, I think that's really, really true. Um, yeah, the, that is a really big one. And um, you, you brought up, you know, 2020 for the racism, racism aspect of it. Um, I actually live just a few, uh, about two miles from where uh, George, George Floyd was murdered. And mm-hmm. I worked at that time in St. Paul on University Avenue in a hospital that um, was right on the, the, the center of all of the violence that happened in St. Paul. So it was personal for me. And I'd already been doing some work on registering that racism and institutional racism is real. And it has been for hundreds of years. And those that want to say, well, I didn't do anything, you know, that slavery was, you know, whatever, 200 years ago. It it is in every moment of every day of somebody who Mm -hmm. is a person of color. Mm -hmm. And added Mm -hmm. to that, if you're, you're a female person of color. And so, you know, it's taken me a long time, but it just became absolutely crystal clear that this is not a problem that people of color can change. This has to happen from white people. And we have to start by recognizing what we are doing that prevents Mm -hmm. other people from being all that they can be. True. That's my thought. And which is part of why I I have this health equity consultancy and education agency. And so that, you know, I can help other people understand and teach this neighborly thing in the workplace. Where else Mm -hmm. other than the workplace where you have such a diverse group of people from different walks of life and different socioeconomic backgrounds other than the workplace. My neighbor is not my next-door neighbor. My next-door neighbor has the same thing pretty much that I have. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that person and I are in the same situation. But when you go into the workplace and you have these systems in this hierarchy, hierarchy um, place, in the systems in place where you have to you know, go to somebody who may be in a higher position than you are to ask for something, that person that you're asking for something needs to be able to understand how to make these clear business decisions where Mm -hmm. you're following your employers, your company's anti-discrimination and anti-bias laws, advancing the company's mission, and not disadvantaging your company causing lawsuits because of your ego. Yeah. But in so many ways, you know, it's it's those and this is true. Everybody has bias. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. recognize, you know, I wouldn't do that. That's not something right. I would do, but then when you actually go back and look at some of the behavior you've had, you have in fact done that. And it's sort of like an mm-hmm. unconscious bias 
you know, some people it's conscious bias and other people it's unconscious bias. But Mm -hmm. either way, we are responsible to know what our biases are and to Mm -hmm. work past those. I want to make sure we get through all of these 10. So I'm thinking maybe we'll just I'll just read the 10 and then let's go back and talk about more specifics. Okay. So the third one is the power of vision. And you say vividly imagine the outcome you desire. Allow yourself to feel grateful that it's already real. Gratitude empowers Mm -hmm. our visions. I love it. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth one is the power to focus. Focusing your energy brings forth an inner fire to light your way and inspire you. Absolutely. Number five is the the power to protect. Take steps to shield yourself and those you love from harm. Guard your life and preserve your safety physically and spiritually. Six is the power to ask. Be willing to inquire, request, and even interrogate. Ask vital questions and expect an answer. Require a response and claim your right to know. Seven is the power to confront. Exert your natural right to confront your accusers. Insist upon a fair examination and discovery of the truth. Um, Light dispels shadows. The eighth one is the power to pray. Connect to God as best as you understand God. Plea for help and affirm that divine help is yours. And nine is the power to wait. Practice patience. Find your inner stillness. Allow time and space for major events to unfold. Meanwhile, sustain an expectation for a positive outcome. Have patience, hold faith, and stay the course. And the last one, the tenth one, is the power to breathe. Where there is breath, there is life. No matter how much we may fear the worst, so long as we can breathe, we can feel hope to do the work of turning our vision into reality. We can let God breathe inspiration into us, communicating divine instructions into our minds. Okay, which one do you want to talk about? Wow. We've just got, uh, <laughs> we've got about um, five or six minutes. So, and actually not that much time, maybe four minutes, because I do want to end and take us out. So where okay. would you like to go on these? How about focus? Focus, getting rid of those distractions in your life that take your fire away. Mm -hmm. You are on fire, and your fire sometimes can burn out of control if we let it. But if you focus all of that energy Mm -hmm. and attention on your goals, then those things will become reality in your life. They definitely will. I think about that, like, you know, a little kid that's um, got a magnifying glass and he's trying to light Mm -hmm. paper on fire using sun and Mm -hmm. magnifying glass. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it Mm -hmm. takes a lot of patience to hold that steady enough that the beam is focused on the paper long enough to ignite it. So that's And that's how you should be. That's how you should be. Um, I remember when I was a little girl, if we have a moment, my mom said to me, um, I've lost something. And, and, and since I was a little girl, I've never been in the habit of losing stuff. I, today, I, to this day, I say I don't lose anything. And hmm. I was looking and I was intently looking and looking and looking. And it was hours that went by and I was still looking. And my mama said to me, she said, I'll be doggone. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you manifested that. <laughs> 
because it was not there and it was there by the end of the day because I wanted it and it was mine. Huh. Interesting. So naturally you have that ability. Yeah. Yeah. I've been very intuitive since I was a little girl and, Mm -hmm. you know, I just would love to be able to share with people, um, alternatives and Mm -hmm. consequences to their choices and learning how to wait and to be patient because the best is due to all of us. But sometimes we make hasty decisions and then we Mm -hmm. have to live with that hasty consequence. And that's not where we should be at. But when we disregard our inner being, then that's where we end up at. Yes. So pick another one. What, What do you want to talk about next? Um, let's see. Okay. Um, the power to ask, I I think that if we decide to ask for what it is that we want, that's definitely within our rights in the workplace, then we should, with a great expectation, receive those things. And I tell people not to have expectations of other people. People are just doing their job, but Mm -hmm. we also have to do our job. And part of our job is to have expectations of ourselves and to Mm -hmm. grow ourselves. And that calls for an ask. And if you're well within your rights to ask for something, then you should be well within your rights to receive it. Yeah. We've got about a little over a minute. Um, Is there anything that you want to say to people all around the world, if there's one thing they remember out of what, what we've been talking about and what you want them to get, what would it be in like a minute? Um, to, to never give up on what it is that you um, are feeling that is rightfully yours. To hold out for it, to ask for it. And if you are finding yourself rambling on about something in the workplace with your girlfriend, mm-hmm. with your barber, with anyone else, then you probably should be coming in to get a prescription for life because we need to put those things in detail just in case something does come up because mm-hmm. rambling to girlfriends and friends yeah. without an intent is not going to suit you in the long yeah. run. You have to exactly. get information that is going to serve you, and this is about serving you to right. health, to wealth, and abundance. I hate this part of having to end the show, but we are at the end. And I really think this um, merits uh, having you come back again at some point, um, possibly in February. Let's talk about it. Okay. So I do want to thank you so much for coming and uh, sharing so much uh, wisdom and courage with us. And I wanted to end, I've started, I think this new year, I'm going to end with uh, some words from my favorite poet, Daisaku Ikeda, who is a Japanese poet. Poet uh, laureate, poet laureate of Japan and world peace leader for 74 years. So he said, the years pass, the times change, and all that survives and transcends this inevitable process that shines brighter with each new era is the record of a great human spirit that has endured the unendurable and remained true to the very end to its deepest convictions. I love that. So uh, for for, for 2021, 
during a time when we will be needing nurses all over the globe, I am throwing out a challenge to contribute to scholarship funds for particularly black, indigenous, and people of color. Um, you can go to my website. I have two on there. Uh, the website is www.onceanurse.com to help um, people of color become nurses and not just become them, but have mentors who help them get through uh, to being uh uh, seasoned nurses, so um, and and people that might not before have been able to do that. So one is through the Nurses International, a 501c3, who is working with nearly 100 low resource countries in the world to train nurses for uh, BSN online for free. The second is through the University of Minnesota Nursing School, dedicated to the first black nurse to apply and graduate from the program in 1932, while also completing a four-year education degree at the same time. So until our next show, make it a great week and don't let anyone take it away. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.